up next, Francis Correa is going to be talking to Father David Holdcroft. Father David used to be the regional director for JZ Refugee Services in Southern Africa. He has recently moved to Rome where he's still working for JSID, for JSID Refugee Service, but now on the international level. So let's listen to the interview. Good morning, Father David, and welcome to Radio Veritas. Thank you. Good morning. It's lovely to have you here back in South Africa. Yes, it's good to be back. So we were just interested in hearing a little bit about what the Jesuit Refugee Service is doing internationally, and I know you're now based in Rome, but if you could give us a sense of the work that is going on in the international arena and, and how different that is. So um, my job in Southern Africa was to direct and or lead the um, the works of the region in four countries, or in four countries, Angola, Malawi, Zimbabwe and South Africa. And we concentrated mainly on works in education, um, and education understood very broadly um, in terms of vocational education for adults, various kinds of adult training, as well as schools and um, the more traditional uh, offerings in education. JRS Southern Africa is one of 10 regions, uh, 10 JRS regions around the world. We're active in 49 countries yeah. um, at the moment uh, and basically spread throughout the world. We're, we're active from Afghanistan to, um, to Iraq, uh, to various countries in Europe, to Latin America, Colombia, Venezuela, uh, Mexico, we've just started a country uh, country operation there, um, and and of course many countries in Africa. The main work is uh, education, but again education understood uh, broadly and uh, taken in a broad sense. What we try to do is to work with refugees from the time of their displacement, from the, you know their situation of displacement, right through to the end. Of until they get what we call a durable solution, till they begin to settle into a new country. Now that the drama of migration or forced migration is not over then, we recognise that, but that's where we confine our, our efforts to. And it's really to help refugees, to combine with refugees in their project, which is to help them sort of negotiate all the, the traumas, all the, the rapid changes that displacement entails, and to give them the capacities both to deal with their experience and also begin to build for the future. Uh, with children, you know, school-aged learners, um, that's going to school. And school, we don't see as just a matter of going to school um, and receiving information. Uh, school in a, a situation of displacement is um, forms what we call a protection function. Those children are in a structured environment where they're not being traumatised, their lives are being respected, and they're being respected as people. Um, and so that enables them to begin to process any traumas they might have from the past or indeed continuing in the home in some way. They learn all the things that we do at school, but they also hopefully learn um, values and learn how to... The orientation is to make them... Uh, enable them to make a positive contribution to the world when they leave. Uh, we also have some tertiary education, um, post-secondary education, I should call it, uh, where we 
give people um, courses coming out of secondary school into uh, vocations or professional training like teaching. There's a lot of vocational training, there's a lot of secondary work, and there's a lot of um, primary work, but we back it up with psychosocial care, uh, with you name it. Sometimes we're the postal service for a refugee camp. Um, it's uh, It varies enormously what we do. Just as you're talking, I'm kind of I'm thinking about this. The Jesuits do have this long history of being involved in education, and and so it's not surprising that you bring education to bear in the work that you do with refugees who for whom it provides um, all the things you've just talked about: a normalising environment, a stable environment, and the possibility of preparing them to reintegrate into probably a new society, a new culture. So this is an exciting topic for Jesuits at the moment. Jesuit education was set up in the 1500s and 1600s really to enable people who didn't have access to schools or to education to get an education. Now, arguably, um, the very good Jesuit schools throughout the world have sort of graduated um, and it, they don't necessarily perform that role. They are good schools and they build people with values, people for others, as we say, but it's a fee-for-service and generally those who can afford go to Jesuit schools and um, let's say it's not necessarily for poor people and people without access in the main. There are various initiatives around the world um, for different models for people who don't have access. And for my mind, JRS Schools is one of those. And it's a different business model. It's a different idea because most of the people who go to JRS Schools, of course, cannot pay fees. So we've got to structure it completely differently. Mm -hmm. um, and, the, and we have to raise money for it. Um, but for me, the exciting thing is it's a recovery of the original Jesuit idea mm. of providing education for people who otherwise would not have any. So it's again this idea of, of reaching people who are difficult to reach and, and doing something about those on the margins in one way or another, which is so much for me a core of what the Jesuit charism is really about. Yes, yeah, agrees. It's um, People don't realise how much refugees... Um, we often look at a refugee and sometimes, you know, they seem to be doing well or they're in a business or something like that. But the process of moving countries when it's unanticipated, largely unanticipated, is, is something that's, that's an extreme trauma for anybody who does it. And our whole idea is to accompany these people in that moment, that very, very vulnerable moment, that to provide a, an environment where they can tap into their sources of strength and capacities, it's not about treating people as poor, helpless victims. Most refugees, like most poor people, have incredible capacities. And indeed, refugees um, seem to be very experienced at taking risk. So they're naturally entrepreneurial, largely speaking. And so we want to build on those things. Uh, so we're not we're not sort of coming into an area where we see it's nothing and we'll do everything. Um, it's it's really working with the refugee communities and putting them back in control of their lives as much as they can you know can be at that point in time when they're maybe in a refugee camp or maybe in Berea or somewhere in Johannesburg. Um, 
the uh, the idea is to give them back control of their lives as much as is possible and help them integrate into the society that they're coming into. We're not interested in creating ghettos of refugees. Unfortunately, camps, refugee camps tend to do that. But even with camps now, we're, we're working with local communities in Zimbabwe's Togangara, in Malawi's Zaleka, in the Southern Africa region, but also in Kakuma, in various camps in Uganda, and um, particularly in Beirut and, and um, uh, in Jordan, in the Middle East and elsewhere. Uh, we're working with local communities to integrate, to really turn camps into settlements or the, lo- the longer term camps where people don't seem to be going anywhere. There are shorter term camps where people do graduate, but um, unfortunately our experience with refugees is that they tend to be in the, the refugee state for an average, I think it's now 20 to 23 years. Wow, so that's really, I mean, that's really, it's, it's half a lifetime. It is, yeah. And, and for some people it's a whole lifetime. Okay. Uh, refugee camps are not pleasant places um, because often you've got the protagonists of whatever conflict caused the movement. You've got people from all sides in the camp and you are generally not allowed to work. They're, they're usually there is a spontaneous economy starts up. Um, it is too much to expect any group of people to put their lives on hold for that length of time. They've got to be productively employed and also pos- speaking positively, if we are not doing that to 65.9 million, I think it is now, um, the figures just came out yesterday or in the last week, imagine that the human potential, the human capital that our world is missing out on. Just as I would say that about you know, many of the youth in South Africa that can't get jobs, um, that it's not just a problem to be solved, like, you know, this person is a problem to be solved. It's just the capacity of the, the country, what the country is missing out of, you know, in, in not developing that capacity and enabling positive contributions. And we also know in a very negative sense that um, it's a little bit more complicated than what I paint, but, um, you know, that the radical ideological groups like Daesh in the Middle East, Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab, they are made up of people who are often looking for work. They see the benefits of this group, society under this group. Of course, then a few months later, they see the negatives uh, very strongly. And um, But, you know, desperate people and people who have no hope are naturally attracted to these sorts of alternatives. And then they realise too late that, you know, that they're involved with it. And then it's very, very difficult to leave, if not impossible, with their lives. So, you know, we want to just try and short circuit all of that and um, and get people making, being prepared for and making a positive contribution to their country, the country where they end up and, and also the world. Wow. So it's a, it's a huge project and it's, a, it's very much a humanistic project about developing the person and not allowing people to languish, giving meaning and hope. I mean, the word that was kind of coming to my, my heart, you weren't saying it, but I was res- hearing it in my mind was the word hope that, that your work is about ensuring that people have hope for the future and are not just trapped in the situation of the present. Yeah. Pope Francis talks about welcoming a refugee, uh, firstly, and then protecting him or her. So creating an environment where they're safe and that they can begin to rebuild their lives. And then what he calls promoting 
um, the refugee, which really means helping them develop. Mm-hmm. And then, and the final stage of that, once you get a good integral development of a person, then they tend to be more open to other cultures, other situations, and that's when integration, meaningful integration, can occur. But I think Pope Francis talks about integration not like, you know, a foreigner comes to, say, Malawi and fits into Malawi society. There's certainly a large part, perhaps 80% of that, but in a way we're creating a new world of um, made up of the the original societies of countries, but also the foreigners coming in. And it's not, there, there has to be give and take. And often the, the, the give of a host community is actually quite difficult because any change questions somebody's identity. Um, and a national identity is even more complex, particularly when you've got political forces playing it off. Um, but it, it's a really, um, it's, you know, the experience of countries, even countries like Great Britain, is that they've benefited from migration, but in ways they often don't want to admit publicly. Mm. Um, and a very, very obvious and perhaps trite example was um, the first time I went to London was in 1980 as a student and um, before many of us were born and uh, it was impossible to get uh, a cappuccino or a coffee in London at a cafe. You go to London now and and it's absolutely no stress. Every second shop you know, is a cafe with Italian, with Eastern Europe, you know, all this kind of thing. It's a much more cosmopolitan feel um, and uh, I'm talking about very serious topics and not trying to make light of them, but, but the sense is we do actually um, profit from migration so long as it's properly managed and, and sort of handled within a country. Mm-hmm. Can you talk, you now working in Rome, I'm very conscious that Pope Francis is, is someone who takes the plight of the poor, takes the issue of refugees, who takes issues of international conflict really seriously. What is it like working in Rome and, and what impact on your work has having a Pope like Francis had for you? Uh, Rome's a wonderful place to, to live and work. Um, I was just in a meeting just before um, this interview and uh, trying to arrange some meetings for tomorrow uh, and uh, realised that it's a public holiday in Rome, one of the many, it's St Peter and St Paul. Uh, but uh, that notwithstanding, I think it's a very good moment uh, in the Catholic Church and it's a very good moment to be a Catholic in this world at, at present. Um, what Francis has done, I don't think he's done anything theologically new. Mm-hmm. Um, his predecessor, Pope, well, his predecessors, John Paul II, um, Benedict XVI, were probably better theologians in some ways. And they introduced, in John Paul II's uh, case, they introduced the concept of solidarity. Then Benedict cleared up a couple of really important log jams in Catholic social teaching. And what Francis, um, I think Francis came in really on a ticket, if you like, to reform the Vatican. And I think how he sees that piece is that it's part of a larger church reform. The church, in being preoccupied with rules and moral choices and things like that, individual moral choices, was in danger of losing touch with many of the larger developments that we're all living in. Globalism, 
conflicts, um, all sorts of things like that. And I think what he's done is he said the moral questions are still important, but we also we must deal with the social, the outward expression of our Catholicism. And Jesuit Refugee Service is an outward expression of that Catholicism. Mm -hmm. It's not going to church, but it's it's working for Catholic values, really putting, applying Catholic values into the world. And I think Francis is extremely active in trying to get us Catholics and people of goodwill. He believes that Catholicism has a real contribution to make to the world beyond its own boundaries of religion narrowly understood. Um, yes. And I think with that, he really believes, and I think it was Benedict that made these moves, but we've talked for quite a number of years about a God of justice. And then we've had, at the same time, we've talked about how God unconditionally loves us and all of that. Now, when you've just been um, tortured or something like that, to hear of God's unconditional love with respect to your torturer, that does further violence to people. It's an inconsistent message. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Pope Benedict really helped us resolve those two things. That, mm -hmm. and, and Francis now communicates that, that we do have a God of mercy and justice. So God is merciful, but we still have to take responsibility for our own lives and our own decisions. And I think he's, in a way, decentralizing... Um, how would I say, responsibility or authority uh, in the church because he's wanting bishops, priests and that to take responsibility for the things that they need to be responsible for. Mm. So as uh, I walked into a Holy Thursday Mass, um, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, uh, just before Easter in Rome, and a couple of veiled women walked in um, and it was an ornate church, a Baroque church, so I thought, well, you know, perhaps they're tourists and they're having a look at the church and they don't know that Mass is on. Uh, anyway, they they sat down and they seemed to be responding to the responses. And uh, and so at the sign of peace, I went across to them and I shook their hand and, uh, they, and they caught my eye and, you know, looked me in the eye and shook their hand. And uh, these, of course, were two Muslim women. And afterwards I asked, um, I asked somebody else in the, the parish, you know, how did they get to be in a Catholic Mass? They didn't go up to communion. They were very respectful. And they said, well, this is, they are people from a family that this parish took in in response to Pope Francis's call for every Catholic parish, convent, and religious community in Europe to take in two Syrian refugee families. Wow. That to me is the strongest um, argument against the radical uh, ideologies of Daesh, ISIS, and all the rest of them. This is the new world that we're going into. And I think Catholicism, we're a community of people. We're not just a group of individuals. I think Francis believes that the community is larger. When it acts together, it's much larger than the sum total of its parts. And we are following God's will. We are discerning. He uses that word a lot. And I think there is so much that we can contribute as a community, as well as individuals, to creating this new world wherever we are. Wow. This is very inspiring, Father David. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And well, we look forward to hearing from you perhaps again in the future. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you very